Father, we cry out to be a living sacrifice unto you. Every area of life yielded up to the Spirit. As we walk in the Spirit, Father God, we will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Help us in our walk of faith, Father God, in this life of faith. Help us to live it out. The high theology we sing, this high doctrine we sing, that our life belongs to you. Help us to live it out, Father God, in reality, in integrity, within our own heart and our own mind, Father God. That's what the holy place, Lord. The holy place now. We are temples of your Holy Spirit, God. Let us voluntarily and spontaneously yield our life up to you in every area. Word, deed, and thought, Father God. Let it be pleasing unto you, God. Help us, Spirit of grace, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. You may be seated. Joyful baptism, they should be joyful, amen? amen? Brother Joseph, praise God, happy for you. Open up to Acts chapter 11 as we continue in the book of Acts. As I go through the 11th chapter, I'll be coming to a close in this chapter. I broke down the chapter into six sermons. We will start reading in verse 19, thank you. Do we put the title up? Oh, good. The unifying work of the Spirit. Let's go to verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came, he saw the grace of God. He was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called the Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Let's pray. Father, we thank you like always, God, that we can come before you and we can worship you in spirit and in truth, Father God, knowing that our sins are fully pardoned because of the blood of Jesus Christ, Father. We thank you, Father God, that we exercise unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace here today, God, as we come in solidarity and our love for you and our love for one another, God. Thank you for putting love in our heart for you and for each other, Father God. 
And Lord, we ask you to breathe upon the text. Let us see these three verses, Father God, of the unifying work of the Spirit, Father God. Let us not miss the big picture in these three verses, Father God. This wonderful unifying work of the Spirit of grace, knitting hearts together over vast miles, bringing two different people groups together under one Lord, one God, one faith, one spirit, one baptism in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, the unifying work of the Holy Spirit is what's driving this text. And if we're only speaking on the last three verses today. As a matter of fact, let me read these last three verses again. Because that's the three verses I will be speaking about. Four verses anyway. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. The gospel of Jesus Christ is about reconciliation. It is about bringing a sinner back into reconciliation with the vertical relationship with God the Father and subsequently bringing us together, harmony, bringing unity out of diversity, reconciliation between people groups. Sometimes, unfortunately, we can read the New Testament and really miss this. Matter of fact, we can get into the book of Acts and really miss this. And this is one of the one of the main elements in the book of Acts is this how the gospel went, as Jesus said, to the outermost parts of the earth. And uh, chapter eleven is filled with a lot of tension. And we're not going to go through the whole chapter again, but as we just read in our text, that some kind of work is going on in a place called Antioch. It's about 300 miles away from Jerusalem. And it caught the ears, it caught the attention of the church of Jerusalem. And they wanted to know, what's going on up there? We didn't send any evangelists up there. We didn't send any apostles up there. We didn't send any prophets up there. But we hear about this mysterious work just sort of spontaneously just started out of nowhere by a, a bunch of unknown street preachers and a great work has begun and we want to know what's going on up there so we see this kind of tension going on over there between the Jewish church and uh, the Gentile church and this is a, a crucial moment in the book of Acts because it's from Antioch now and when we get to chapter 13 that the gospel is going to go through the whole Roman Empire mainly through Paul and Barnabas and a couple other preachers. So this is a big time that we have over here. We see this movement from Jerusalem to the, as Jesus commands, to the outermost reaches of the earth. So this is what's taking place over here. And we have this reconciliation that's underneath the whole text. Tonight's text is a perfect example of the unifying work of God. We cannot miss this. This unity within diversity is God's kingdom. Don't you know that everywhere we look, there's diversity? Everywhere. The Christian church should be a real poster child of unity out of the diversity. Nowhere else. It's just, I've had the pleasure of, of worshiping God on different continents with different people and different languages. And it's, it's a beautiful thing when you're singing and you don't know a word they're saying. But the, the praise is going up. You, you know you're praising one God, one Father, one Lord by one Spirit in the unity of the faith. And, and you know, you don't understand what they're saying. You, you're raptured up with everybody in this worship. It's a glorious thing. You know, it, it, it really is. And this is much of Paul's missionary work. Paul's missionary work wasn't just to preach the gospel and to bring people into the kingdom of God. He was really bringing people... Uh, not just bringing people to Christ, but bringing people together 
that naturally are alienated. The Jew and the Gentile could not be more separated. Uh, I mean, we, we can't even find something today that says how diverse they were because there was such... Paul calls in Ephesians chapter 2 hostility, the wall of hostility that stood between the Jew and the Gentile. And the law of hostility was the law of Moses. It separated, it quarantined all Jews from uh, all Gentile people. And we see this great work being done here with the Jew and Gentile, rich or poor, black or white. This is God's continued method of bringing peace to the world, and we cannot miss that. God's church is peace, it's unity. Added diversity. It's a magnificent, and, and for me, it's, I just absolutely love it. When I first got saved, and I was sharing with Brother Phil as we were praying in the back earlier, when me and my wife got saved, I just, I loved to be around God's people. I, it didn't take me a year, it didn't take me a month. It took me one service, and that was it. Coming to church was a blessing. Being around Christians was a blessing to, to hear what people were saying, how they were praying, what they needed. It was, and it hasn't changed. After almost 30 years, it hasn't changed. It's, it, it's a great blessing. And to see this God's continued method of bringing peace between all cultures and, and, and socioeconomic classes and so on and so forth. And I want you to know that all political attempts of bringing solidarity to fallen humanity will fail. Mankind does not possess the ability to bring the solidarity that God wants. It's an absolute impossibility because man cannot change the human heart. Only God can. You cannot regulate unity. You cannot regulate and legislate peace. You have to change the heart, and that's what God does. When I came to Christ and God touched my heart, he removed almost instantly the prejudice that was in my heart. Only God can do that. It wasn't threatened. I wasn't scared of going to jail. God just delivered us. And that's what he's still doing in our hearts today. Only God can do that. Only God can change the heart. Luke's concern here is not that a prophecy was given. We can get caught up in this prophecy. Agabus gave a prophecy. And we missed the whole text. The whole text was that action was taken. It was action that was motivated because of Christ. And that this prophecy got the people moving in the right direction. In this text we'll see Paul's spiritual assessment being fulfilled that he talks about in Ephesians chapter 4. If we can put that up there. Starting in verse 4. I want you to read this. This is Paul's assessment of the Christian church. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. He's spoken to Jews and Gentiles. One Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism. There's one God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is God's glorifying unity. This is a magnificent peace. You know, for me as a pastor, many Christians miss this unifying work of God. They miss it. They miss the beauty, the the integrity, the God-glorifying ability to bring people from different backgrounds, religions, classes, everything, education, to bring us together and to call each other brother and sister and even end a service with a holy kiss because we really do generally care for one another. And Christians miss that. They miss that joy, that simple joy of embracing somebody else that Christ has died for. This was a natural growth of the spiritual labor that we just read about. That Paul and Barnabas for one year labored in teaching in this church. Remember what we spoke about, that this church was founded by just a bunch of no-name preachers. We don't know. 
Somebody went there, started preaching to the, uh, the Gentiles, the Greek Gentiles, and, and they got converted. But what happened is that they still were not taught. They were still vulnerable. Young Christians, a young church is vulnerable until you're solid in biblical teaching. It's like a child. We see these children running around. We're blessed. We have them. It's, it's a wonderful thing and they're cute, but, but they're vulnerable. They need guidance. They need shepherding. They need parenting. They need teaching. That's how a young church is. That's how a young Christian is. There's this spontaneity to love God and they love God. They believe in God. Many came to the Lord, but they needed to be taught. They needed to be strengthened. And for a year, Barnabas and Saul taught them and encouraged them and exhorted them to stay steadfast in the Lord. And that's what's taking place over here. And after a year, what happened when a need was met, they were ready. This vulnerable, childlike faith church was ready. Paul and Barnabas taught them well. And this is the natural outgrowth of the spiritual labor that Paul and Barnabas did, as Paul says in Galatians, that he, he labors over his church until what? Christ be formed in you. That's We're local pastors. Me and John are local pastors. Patty Mac, we're local elders. This is what we do. We labor in vain until Christ be formed in you. That is our heart. That is my driving force in my life. This is what motivates me. It motivates John. It motivates this church to labor. And that sometimes it is. It's labor to Christ be formed in you. And Barnabas and Paul labored for a full year in this childlike faith vulnerable church that didn't know any rock solid teaching as far as we know until they got there and they built them up strong from the inside out to make them a very overwhelmingly generous people as soon as the need was met they were there and more than that they they, they were generous to a people they didn't never met and not just never met they they were at one time the jews were very aloof remember that to the Gentile world, the Jewish synagogue and the Jewish uh, 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 people, they kept to themselves. They were involved in this metropolis of about 300,000 people, but the Jews always kept to themselves. And now here we have this Gentile church filled with the Spirit, loving the Lord, taught by Paul, taught by Barnabas. When a need came to give back to the church in Jerusalem, they didn't even think twice about it. Right there. They gave. They determined in their own heart that they were good. They would give. You know, sometimes I think from an angelic perspective. You know, I put my mind as I'm preparing sermons. And, you know, if you could see the angelic, uh, the angels just looking back at the the crucifixion of Christ and, and his sacrifice, his brutal death was bringing this racial harmony, this this harmony between humanity that no one could do. But the death of Christ, the selfless sacrifice of Christ brings people from diverse backgrounds together to worship as brothers and sisters in Christ. Only God could think this. Only God can accomplish this. So I say that, don't miss it. Don't miss it. You have taken half of the joy that God offers the Christian and have thrown it away if you cannot enter into enjoying what God is doing in other people's lives. I'm going to say it again. Until we can learn to watch God doing wonderful things in other people's life, our Christian life will be half empty. It's not meant to be just me enjoying me and Jesus on some cloud floating around. The me and Jesus cloud. It's not about that. 
It is about entering in and, and listening to Lorraine and listening to someone and, and hear what's going on. And, and as Paul says, rejoice with those who rejoice and, and, and mourn with those who mourn. It's, it's, these are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm so grateful that God has given me that. So grateful, man. Please don't miss that. And I know it's not the first time I say it. I say it quite often. Let me talk about biblically. These verses find themselves in a transitional part of Acts. Chapter 11 is about the gospel going to the Gentiles. It's all about the attitude of the church of Jerusalem. This mother church was suspicious of any kind of activity that was going on in the Gentile world. When they heard about Jesus being preached, they were highly suspicious. Was it a genuine perversion of of the gospel? They really wanted to know. So they sent out Barnabas to investigate. They received financial compensation as proof of the authenticity of the faith of this Gentile church. As Paul says elsewhere in Romans 15, I want you to see this principle. I don't want you to miss this in Romans 15, chapter, verse 26 and 27. For the Macedonian and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution to the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it. And indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings... They ought to be of some service to them in material blessings. And this is what's happening in Antioch right now. They received richly. They were a church. They were people that never heard about God. They never heard about the gospel. Some street preachers went there, started preaching. All of a sudden, the spirit of grace started doing a great work. They were infants. They were vulnerable. They loved God, but they needed to be strengthened. And the church from Jerusalem sends down Barnabas. Barnabas goes out and gets another apostle. They go over there, and they build the church up with all the intangibles of spiritual life. And now it's their turn to give back to the church in Jerusalem because... A famine's coming. And they just give. Don't even think twice about it. They're just giving. I'll speak more about that in application. Let's go to the text. Verse 27. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. You have to understand some prophets were an important feature in the first century church. We cannot miss that. They were charismatic preachers. They had the power to exhort. They had the power to encourage saints who had a God-given gift to preach. They were able to move the hearts of men. I don't want you to miss this. They were specially gifted to preach and exhort and to lift up Christ in a vivid way. And it genuinely moved the hearts of people to to action, to the call of action. They were capable of uh, of interpreting the Old Testament text in, in its New Testament fulfillment. And I don't want you to miss that. Remember, Christ is still a mystery. You and I, we come here after 2,000 years of Christian history. Many of us will grow up in the church. We know Bible verses. We know this and we know that. But 2,000 years ago, they had no idea what had just taken place through the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They had no idea. Nothing could prepare them for what had happened. The prophet was able to come down and interpret the will and the mind of God. They had no access to the mind of God. They had Old Testament scriptures, but many of them weren't Jewish. 
It still lie a veil light over the Old Testament to them. They just knew they were saved. They just they knew Jesus was Messiah. They knew Jesus was their Savior. But like infants, they needed to, someone to teach them and to tell them what is it all about. Tell us the will and the mind of God. And that's what the prophets did. The prophets had that ability. They had that special call, that unique call to come and to reveal sometimes spontaneously the will and the mind of God. They were able to, as we see in our text today, foretold future events. But this foretelling of a future event really is not a spiritual entertainment. This wasn't to wow the people. But it was meant to move the hearts of the people to give. And that's what all preaching is. It's moved the hearts of God's people to touch their will to action. Not to be sedentary. Not to be indifferent, but to be zealous for good works, to be zealous for the Lord. It was never about themselves, but it was about God and his people. I'll speak more about prophets later on in application. In verse 28, one of these people had this great gift. His name was Agabus. We'll go to verse 28. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. See, Agabus was one of these specially gifted men. The most important component here is that he spoke by the Spirit. We do not want to miss that he spoke by the Spirit, a word from the Spirit. This shows us the unifying concern of God. And that's why the name of our text tonight, the name of our, the sermon is the unifying work of the Holy Spirit. Agabus had no idea what was going to take place when he got to this church. This was not something he got prior to going there. He got this when he was there. And it goes to show us it's pointing to the unifying work of the Holy Spirit to bring two people groups together. There is the Gentile church 300 miles away from Jerusalem. The mother church Jerusalem is suspicious of any work that's going on outside of Jerusalem. Can this be true? What's going on up there? And we see the Holy Spirit is way ahead of both churches bringing two people groups together. Can I tell you now that God is always looking for opportunities for you and me to bring people groups together. We should be unifiers in the faith. We should do everything we can to bring people together, not just people who don't know Christ yet, but even other Christians. Other Christians that have some different theological perspectives than we do. I'm talking about genuine evangelical, born-again, Bible-believing God-loving, Jesus-loving Christians, but see things differently. We don't alienate ourselves from them. We have to have a unifying spirit and attitude that these are our brothers and our sisters in Christ. I might not agree with everything someone says, but if there's enough of, uh, of, of the truth in there, then that's my brother, that's my sister in Christ. I want to be part of a unifying work of God. There is time that doctrine eventually will separate. And there's nothing you can do about that. But it doesn't have to separate my heart from the need of another Christian. That's someone Christ has died for. These two groups are different. Not doctrinally. But what they're different is culturally. They look different. They spoke different. They dressed different. They ate different. They, they lived different. They were close to being more barbarians. Than the Jews. The Jews were very, very formal. The Jerusalem church was a very formal church. This church was sort of on the, on the other side of the railroad tracks. 
Couldn't be too further apart. These two worlds couldn't be further apart. And the truth of the matter is the Jerusalem church really didn't want much to do with anybody else. But here's God's patience and God's kindness and God's love unifying this work. It's a beautiful, for me when I read this and I go over this, it brings me to tears just to see how far God will go in his patience and love and kindness and long suffering and grace and mercy to bring people together. So I ask this, if God is for bringing people together, why in the world do we have resentments? Why in the world do we carry this sort of divisive nature? Why aren't we just open to Christians? Why don't we just open our hearts to people? We have to. This is the unified. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing in us at all times. I'll speak about this when we get to application. But Agabus here is showing a unifying work of God. Remember Paul's word to me to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. He told that to the Ephesians. Otherwise, listen, if the spirit is not motivating us to unity, understand something, there will be no unity. It's not in the heart of men to bring unity. It's in the heart of God. Luke is writing as an historian here, and he says in parenthesis that this took place in the days of, of Claudius. And you'll be like, well, that's a strange thing over here. But understand that when Agabus gave this prophecy, there was no famine. He gave a prophecy of something that was going to come by the Spirit. He didn't leave Jerusalem on a 300-mile journey. By the time he got there, he goes, you know something? The grocery stores are getting kind of low. It hasn't rained in a couple of months. So you know what? Most likely there's going to be a famine. That was not what happened. When he got there, God spoke to him by the Spirit. There would be a famine. And it goes to show something how awesome this church was. They gave to something that was to come. That takes faith. And to me, as a teacher who studies the scriptures, Paul and Barnabas did one great job in teaching this young, immature, vulnerable church the faith. So much so that when a word comes about something that's going to happen, they're ready to give. Just on the testimony. What a great work Paul and Barnabas did in this church. This is what happens when you labor in vain through Christ be formed into them. Understand something. It takes relentless teaching. For a whole year, they met and taught. There were no timeouts. There were no vacations. There were no weekends. It wasn't just get together on a Sabbath. With them probably was a, sun, a Saturday. Maybe a Sunday. They met after work every day. And they taught for a whole year. We spoke about this last week. It must have been amazing to sit on the teaching of Paul for a year. The man knew the mind of Christ. The man knew the plan of redemption. To sit under this man's ministry must have been... I mean, I read his epistles and I'm, and I'm singing on the inside. And fortunate, I've had uh, the blessing of sitting under preaching where I thought I was listening to Paul or listen to Luther, or listen to Calvin, to sit there and hear a man of God expound on the scriptures, and you get lost in the plan of redemption, that you're not even worried about if you're hungry, you're not worried about your aches and pains, you're not worried about your fears and your false expectations and hopes, you're just captivated by the mind of God. 
This church for one year was captivated by the mind of God as Paul and Barnabas expounded the scriptures and the plan of redemption for him. Please do not miss that. Don't miss it. These weren't some small Bible studies thrown together and people were coming and tired. They came in filled with expectation to hear what Paul and Barnabas were going to say. And this is the fruit of relentless ministry. Verse 29 says this, so the disciples so the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. This is the unifying work of the Holy Spirit. The unifying work of the Holy Spirit was by a word of prophecy to be dropped at the conscience of this church of Antioch where they determined that these people live in Judea, they're not Jews, they're our brothers. And we're going to help them. And we're going to bring relief. I like it says, so the disciples determined. You know what's great about that? You know what's missing? It says the disciples determined, not the apostles. They didn't determine. The prophets didn't determine who was going to give or how much they were going to give. The church of Jerusalem, the elders didn't tell people how to give or what to give or or, or, or try to strong arm them into giving and shaking their pockets until the money came out. They, they gave a need. And because they were taught properly, guess what happened? They determined upon themselves. It was self-motivated, self-generated. This is magnificent. Don't miss the beauty of this. This is the unifying work of the Holy Spirit. If the Spirit of God can give a prophetic word about an event that hasn't happened yet, do you not think He can't move on people's hearts to give them a determining spirit that these are our brothers in need of relief and help? Let's give. You don't pull people's teeth to give. You teach them Jesus. And they give. We love that here. You know how freeing that is? It frees us. We are so free. And it was so gloriously free from trusting that we have to manipulate people to give. Sometimes a church can go for long times when you don't have to ask the people to give excessively. But sometimes the church is in a position that we need to help people and, and we rally around because you've taught Christ so, so faithfully. Guess what? People give. That's the way we do it here. We take our cue from here. Let everybody give to the need according to what he has determined. What you can afford. It was wonderful. This is great. This is beautiful. This is majestic. This, is, this makes my soul sing. So what happened? This local congregation saw the Jerusalem church as close brothers in need. Not as strangers. With their hand out. They grasped it. Please don't mean this. This is a young church. They're a young church. This church is not more than several years old. With only one good solid year of biblical teaching. But they see that they're part of something much bigger now. They're part of the kingdom. They're part of the plan of redemption. God's on the move and they're part of it. They're caught up in it. They feel alive to God. This is wonderful. It's not some little geographical revival taking place that touches a couple of hearts and, and it's just about this little Jesus and me. No, this is 
They're part of something great and grand. So great and so grand that they're willing to give for it. I'm overwhelmed. Just teach Christ. Preach Christ. Be faithful to Christ. Be faithful to the gospel. Let the Holy Spirit do do what he does best. Change hearts. And verse 30 says this. (coughs) And they did so. Sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. You see, they met the need right away. And then they sent... Don't miss this. They sent their beloved pastors back with the prophets to Jerusalem on their behalf. They they were giving up Barnabas and Saul to go back. Financial integrity. Go back and be a blessing. Tell them in solidarity we walk with them. This was mind blown. When we get to Acts chapter 15, we'll speak more about this. but for now, you, this, this is a big unifying event. That if you're just reading the scriptures in your home and you're doing maybe just reading the Bible, you might miss how magnificent these three verses are. Understand something. When we get to chapter 12, uh, 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 another persecution uh, breaks out. And for the, for the Jewish Christian in Judea 2,000 years ago, understand something. You are on the... You were the low man on the food chain. Because any relief in Judea at the time had to come through the hands of the Pharisees in the, in the local synagogue. But if you were a Jew who converted to Christianity, guess what? You were as dead to the synagogue. There was no help. There was no relief. Let me put it this way. If the church at Antioch does not meet this need, guess what? They die. Make no mistake about it. This is not some, you know, someone needs a new car, a new tire. They, they would have died. There's nowhere else for them to go. This was a huge benefit. It had manifold ramifications on bringing unity between the church and the work of God. To realize that Christians are part of something much greater and something much bigger. And it brought great validity to the Gentile mission. The elders in Jerusalem, as we'll see in Acts 15, that their labor was not in vain in in, in the Gentile world. That the gospel was really going out. These pagans were truly coming to the one true God. And they realized that they were engrafted into the branch of Judaism. Don't miss it. It's magnificent. There are so many themes that tie into these three verses that I can't, it would take too much time. I don't want to miss just the the beauty of what's going on over here. This was the fruit from the mission field of God's work in the world. This is the tangible evidence that a genuine work had taken place at Andrea. Application. First thing I want to speak about is the unity of the Spirit. This is the primary role of the Holy Spirit. And this is often missed, as John's been speaking about and teaching about the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit comes not just to unify me with God, but simultaneously me with other people. It is not about you. I'm sorry to tell you. It's not about your felt feelings. It's not about your personal needs. God knows all that. 
This is about us. It's about Him. It's about they, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and us. It is us all the way. And until you get into the us, you'll always feel like you're missing something in your Christian life. It is about us. It is about the unity of the Spirit. And that, for me and John, that's one of the great concerns of us. And it's a great concern of all pastors. That Christians are sometimes not on the board of the, the unity train. Remember the old song, Love Train? God, love Train, you know? This is the unity train. And this is what the Holy Spirit is doing. It's, it's about unity. It's about being in other people's lives and caring and working with them. This is, this is the tangible evidence that God is alive in me. And when we don't see that, it's, 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 it's more than frustrating. It's genuinely concerning to me. You know, how are you missing this? This is, the, the, this is what the Holy Spirit is desiring to do in each and every one of us. Amongst many other things. Not just personal sanctification and walking in holiness. But breaking down the wall. Those, the walls of division that we naturally carry around from our fallen man. The old man, the old woman. God breaks that down. Second, I ask this. Do I need a prophetic word to move me or move us to give? Of course not. Basic Christian teaching and maturity is enough to realize that we are called to meet needs. I don't need a prophetic word. I don't need thus says the Lord or thus says the Holy Spirit. It's, it's innate in you by the Holy Spirit that as we mature, we would be generous. We're to be givers. This prophetic word was help. It was meant to bridge the gap between two people groups. They didn't realize that was taking place 2,000 years ago. They didn't realize that God was bringing Jew and Gentile together and making them one body. They didn't know that. In Paul's teaching, we see it in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, we see it in Ephesians, we see it in Philippians, we see it here. You see it in Colossians. Paul is always talking about this unifying work of the Holy Spirit. You see it in 1 John. You see it everywhere you go. You can't get away from it. It's a genuine concern to God that we really do become one people. The Christian is always ready for acts of charity. A missing element here, as I spoke already, I won't speak about it again. Let me just pass on that one. Three. The Christian should be engaged in three spheres of giving. Three. First is congregational. As we belong to a local body, our tithes and our offerings go to something. And I want you to know, as far as this church is concerned, we have the ability, and we do, we reach a lot of different ministries around the world. This little local congregation. We get to bless pastors who right now are in Africa, feeding on the word of God through Dr. Davis and his team that go over there. And, and, and he just got back from Dominican Republic. And he did a great work down in Dominican Republic, not just bringing pastors, but bringing them into a better understanding, a clearer understanding of Reformed theology. And they're grasping the magnitude and the magnificence of expositional preaching and teaching and understanding. And, and, and under his own, uh, in his own words, they would not have done it if it wasn't for our generous gift. We sent them. 
We sent a team there. We were able to write a check and send a team of pastors to go down there and train them. We're doing that. We're part of that. We heard the need. I don't need a prophetic word. We went out to dinner one day and John was saying, hey, this is the work that's going on over here, new work. And, and we were able to say, wow, you know, we want to get on board. We can support that. We can, we can help you financially in this matter. This is a wonderful blessing for us. This, our ears are open for this kind of stuff. This, is, this warms my heart. It warms John's heart. I want it to warm your heart. So as you belong to a church that gives congressionally, as a congregation we give, and that's only a couple of examples. There's many more examples we give. We bless local churches over here. We'll bless a church for five years. If someone opens up the door and they're a church plant, we will come by side them and we have, and, and we help them out financially. It's hard work. And this little church is able to do that. We're blessed. Second, we don't just give them a congregation. We bring our tithes and orphans to the church. Second, we meet the needs of other Christians on their own. You know, when a need comes to your ears, just like it came to the ears of the church at Antioch, they met that they determined within themselves. As a Christian, I should be able to determine within myself. I don't need a prayer meeting. I don't need to fast. I don't need to ask the pastor. There's a family who's hungry. I have money. I meet the hungry need. That's all. Someone has, needs this. Someone needs that. I, I don't need to have a, a prayer meeting over this. You give out of your own resources. You determine what you can meet someone else's need. And I truly believe that third, Christians should be ready to meet needs of unbelievers. An unbeliever should see that we are a generous people, zealous for good deeds. You know, me and my wife have uh, uh, those in need fund. And we've been saving money for years and years and years, and we allocate the money, we put it away for those in need. And sometimes it's to believers, but many times it's to unbelievers. When we hear the need of an unbeliever, we'll meet that need. You know, we're not, we're not asking them to, to come accept Christ. We'll, you know, we'll come and say, we're Christians or something. We'll let them know that we're meeting your need. We want to bless you. Our wallet should always be open up to the poor, period. That is it. I don't need a prophetic word. You know, that is part of Christian maturity. We should allocate, we should be ready to meet needs wherever they might be, in the congregation, individually, or to the unbeliever. I spoke about Romans 15 already in God's economy. One man's need and, and someone else has excess. We, we give, we meet the need. You know, you can meet a financial need of someone who spiritually blessed us. We have people in our life that spiritually blessed me and Terry, and, and they don't have what we have, and we're able to meet them financially, and we bless them. They met us with great spiritual gifts, and, you know, they're not blessed in the way me and my wife are, so we are able to meet them it, it, it monetarily. And that, that's a great joy in our life that we can do that. And I'll close with this. Are prophets needed today? Do we need that? Let me... Let me Generally speaking, I will speak for, for, for our stand here and we'll say no. And this is why. The prophet in the first century were used for understanding God's will to the infant church. They had no idea the mind of God. They didn't have a study Bible. They didn't have the canon of Scripture. They didn't have the vast wealth of information and knowledge about the will and mind of God that you and I have today. God had to raise up prophets to speak to them in an authoritarian way. But the prophets back then had the witness of the apostles. They were not in competition. 
they did everything under the, the knowledge, the umbrella of apostolic authority. Today, apostolic authority is in the Bible. It's the faith that was once and for all handed over to the saints. It's not given to any one man at all. It is given to each and every local congregation in the authority of the Bible. We sit under the apostolic teaching of the first apostles. We bow our knee and our heart to apostolic teaching, the apostolic faith found in the 66 books of scripture, specifically the 27 New Testament documents that reveal to us an understanding of the mind of God and the plan of redemption. We do not need a prophet to say, this is the will of God. I have Paul, I have John, I have Luke, I have Mark, I have the apostles. Don't let anybody come and say you need this. That's where we stand. I'll close with this. There could be times specifically in areas around the world that are ignorant to the scriptures and biblical revelation and have very little understanding of God or Christ whatsoever that God could raise up people to speak strongly in a prophetic voice for the sole purpose of revealing Christ. But for us in America today, please understand something. I find it very hard to think that an American Christian needs to hear the will of God from a prophet. We have the Bible. Let's study it. Let's chew on it. Let's know it. Let's sit under apostolic teaching. So that when someone says, I got a prophetic word, you can say, I already had one. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for every good and perfect gift, Father God. I thank you for this sermon, these three verses, God, that we spent a little extra time on, God. But it's the unifying work of you. Let us, let us be mindful that you're always, by your spirit, unifying Christians together, Father God. This glorifies Christ, Father God, who had sheep, not just in Jerusalem, but sheep from another fold that still needed to hear his voice. So God, I just pray for Sonship Ministries that we are a church that is so tight, so caring, so tender, so compassionate, so forgiving, so understanding, so walking in the principle of grace towards each other, Father God, that we glorify you, that you look at us and you're pleased with this church in Jesus' name.